Bing bang bong. Sing sang song. Ding ding dong. You can. Becca, now you have, you've got to edit that so that we're in harmony at the same time. <laughs> um, not going to happen, but uh, this episode uh, has to be called like I would I would sacrifice my life for Bimini Bamboulash. <laughs> oh um, right before we get into that, I'll introduce the podcast. Um, Sorry, the name uh, the name is nipples are the eyes of the face. <laughs> Nipples add eyes, the eyes to the face. face. And you got beautiful <laughs> nipples, Ruth. Welcome back to the Grim Reader podcast, a podcast where we, we judge each other's books by the front cover and then actually do a book review. I'm Rebecca. I'm Nikki. I'm Chloe. Uh, actually introducing ourselves. Oh my God, we're slightly getting better. Um, if you did, didn't guess, uh, uh, a chatting... A chatting point in this episode is Drag Race UK. Drag Race UK. UK Hon. dessert of the RuPaul's Drag Race franchise. So like, good. So good. Me and Chloe have, like, it, I think Drag Race UK comes out on a Thursday. And then mm-hmm. uh, US is on Netflix on Saturdays. Yes. Oh, so you know this. Don't pretend you don't know. No, no. But I was wondering. It was actually out on Friday nights. I wasn't sure because I started seeing tweets about it. But I think exactly, it yeah, airs saw, on Fridays. I think so. Because I see, like, the Queen's post. And, like, I saw um, Simone's outfit before, like, yeah. the episode aired. But... Um, like we are, we we usually try and coordinate our watches, um. But it's it's funny because it's like, no, we have to watch the UK Drag Race after because we have to like build up to it. <laughs> to be like, honest, I did it. I did it the other way around this week, and I was disappointed. I was like, why did I do that? Yeah, no, it's oh, it's so good. It's so good. I just like, I I would watch the whole show if they just showed Bimini. Bimini is is the people's princess. She's incredible. Incredible. It's it's the voice she has when she's like, Bimini! <laughs> I could just listen to Bimini talk all day. It just fills me with delight. Her being bacteria on the main stage this week, like girl work. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a concept like a and it didn't really work. No, um, she looked but, like, like a vagina. She looked amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, bejazzled vagina. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how Gemma Collins sucked on it. <laughs> yes, Queen, give us nothing. <laughs> oh, I've seen clips from her from the um, Snatch Game. And like, she was like, not interacting at all. Like, at not all. even laughing. And you're like, you would understand this humour. Like... You understand no. the references. The annoying thing is when it did cut to her, she did have like a zingy one-liner every once in a while. Just it's because it's Gemma Collins and she's funny, but she just didn't bother like being nice or being like encouraging to yeah, all no, these queens who were so excited to see her. Yeah, no, I thought she sucked to be honest. I was like, okay, go on off home, so mm. <laughs> but yeah, I must actually start watching. You need to. It is so okay. good. Oh, like I actually it's... got VPN just so I could watch it in peace on iPlayer without ads for Russian escorts every two seconds. <laughs> uh, if you've given up on Drag Race, because like if you have, like absolutely fair. understandable. Like it's gotten really, really bad. If you've given so up, now. go back to UK Drag Race. It's 
it's like watching season six of the US Drag Race, but even better. It's, it's because it's lower budget as well. And like, I was talking to one of my friends about this and that the reason the US Drag Race just isn't exciting anymore is because like the runways are just pageantry. Like as in when we saw Lala a couple of weeks ago coming out in her bodysuit with bags glued to it, that was one of my favourite moments of Drag Race in years. <laughs> because how, how long has it been since you saw a disaster on the main stage? Like that's yeah. entertaining. I want to see like, I want to see someone coming out looking horrific and getting <laughs> red to filth for it. Like, <laughs> that's what I want to see that entertains me (laughs) and they were kind of kind to her as well which I appreciated they were kind of like girl like you're so good but this is so bad (laughs) like what are you doing Lala Um, oh justice for Lala Ri but uh moving on though um uh, because otherwise I'm like "Mm." (laughs) this just a drag race review podcast now um fashion photo review (gasps) thursday murder club casting review exactly um i finally uh read uh thursday murder club and um it was really good it's like our first podcast update it's like oh coming back to one of our books yeah um i was gonna get it on bar box as an audiobook and then uh if you or um, follow us on Twitter. You'll see that I tweeted out that like it wasn't available till December 2039. And stupidly, I didn't screenshot that because then the following day when Nikki was like, screenshots, <laughs> I went in Receipt. and I was like, it's, uh, it's um, got back to normal now. I can borrow this. And um, I, I kind of got a little bit angry. I was like, you made me look like a liar on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way, like, just bear in mind, readers, Rebecca had a week to think of this excuse. It it may seem, it may seem foolproof, but hmm. Excuse, I would (laughs) never. Was she looking for clout? (laughs) You decide. never. Oh my God. I'm going to put up an Insta poll. (laughs) (laughs) But um, finally, I um, got it in actual person. Um because I think it's a book my dad would really enjoy as well. Um, and uh, it was really, really good. But immediately after reading it, um, well, one, Nikki is Ron. <laughs> Ron I is Nikki. I am so happy to be Ron. He's the yeah. best character. Um, I, am, <laughs> I am definitely Ibrahim. Yes, Absolutely. I, I know nothing about the book, but tell me who I am. Chloe's Elizabeth. Okay, oh, I love yeah. your she's certainty. The, yeah. She's just a badass bitch. And like, yeah. there's a moment where like, because Chloe, you weren't here for that uh, episode when we were talking about it. There's a moment where Elizabeth like inserts herself in this criminal investigation. And the way she does it is she pretends she's been mugged outside Holland and Barrett and goes into the, the police station crying hysterically <laughs> so that she gets a female officer. And then like Joyce is like, yeah, she's a nun as well. And they, <laughs> they bring her in and, and like Elizabeth has staged this whole thing to try and get the female officer on her side. And it's amazing yeah. she's it's really bot. good she's i did that last week gas <laughs> relatable <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's really good and like i started messaging nikki after like certain things happen i was like oh my god what and things like that um but it's really good but immediately i was like who would i cast who would i cast i would definitely see um dame maggie smith as um elizabeth i yeah. think we talked about this before 
Um, I couldn't decide for joy. So then the book's been picked up by uh, Spielberg, which is my favorite. I'm sorry. I know that's so basic, but I love Steven Spielberg so fucking much. And the, what, who was cast for her again? Um, for Joyce, it's Julie Walters. Well, this is like, now she has. I don't think anything has been cast. This is like what people are saying looks likely. Oh, she'd be incredible. Like she is Joyce. She is. I really like Julie Walters. I just think, I think she might be in retirement from acting. I think I saw I an interview that she years. said the only movie that she'd come out of retirement for was Mamma Mia 3. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, she'd, I, she'd I love Thursday that. Murder Club. Um, I She'd feel like she would. So um, and then for Elizabeth, they were saying, um, like, we think Dame Maggie Smith, because I'm like, yeah, they're saying Helen Mirren. I'm like, I could see that. I could see that. I'd prefer I'd prefer Maggie I'd Smith. Prefer Maggie Smith. She's and a little more acerbic. I can't remember who they said for Ron, but I didn't agree oh. with it. And then I was like, no, I want Brendan Gleeson. And I think no, and then I disagreed because I want Sir Anthony Hopkins. Really? Two very different vibes. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think so. No, I think Anthony Brendan Gleeson. When you see Brendan Gleeson getting hyped up and worked up in a movie, you're like, absolutely. And he like fights Brendan, for the underdog. Brendan Gleeson, a la Paddington too. <laughs> like that. It does. It's a good casting choice, but I just think Sir Anthony Hopkins as like a grumpy, cross but really kind-hearted see, old man. Like I, oh, I, I would him. see Anthony Hopkins more as Ibrahim but he's not of the right descent. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of like, that's who I see him more as. Cause, um, but yeah, I like stand if, by Brendan. If Gleason. Jack Nicholson was English, imagine him as Ron, like the chaos that would ensue. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, who else? Um, Ibrahim then, they were saying Bill Nye and I love Bill Nye. I adore oh, he'd be that so actor. Good, he'd be but so good. Weird. But Ibrahim is of Turkish descent, I think. Um, I don't know, is he Turkish? Um, no, I, I double checked and I do, I think it is um, Turkish descent. descent. So, so like, it's a weird choice. That, you see, it's it's not been, I don't think it's been officially cast. So like, this is just like what people are speculating he'll go for. And while Steven Spielberg is listening to us and considering all of our thoughts, <laughs> I would just like Steven Spielberg, Michael Giacchino would be an amazing composer for this film. I will say it again, the Ratatouille score on the Thursday Murder Club vibes. Like, it would be immaculate. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so those are, um, would recommend the book if you're looking for something a little bit more lighthearted. Did I just borrow it on Borrowbox? Yes, I did. I'm the reason you can't get it till 2039. (laughs) Did you get it as an audiobook? Yes, of course. Oh, it's so it's Leslie Manville Oh, I thought it was Richard Osmond himself. No, it's Leslie Manville, oh. and I actually really like her. Okay. Um, yeah, she's really good. Um, I do. I just love Richard Osmond. Like know, yeah. you know, I I'm a House of Games super fan. Chloe, you're gonna love it. Yeah. Like he's he's influenced by Agatha Christie, and he just he does it. It's very subtle nods to her writing, not her racism. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that's so i can take well. that yeah he does yeah. it so well um but yeah really enjoyable um so yeah um with that i'll just a small little point because we're probably on the like end 
paying out the introduction, um, I went to the uh, Writers of the West uh, book club meeting, uh, which is free to sign up uh, to. And uh, you get to meet uh, different authors as well as like discuss their books and like little group settings. And I got to um, the book up for discussion was As You Were by Elaine Feeney, um, which I mentioned in episode 13. And I stan her even more now. Um, she oh, just queen. is amazing. Um, and I would recommend uh, she's doing a few events for different literary festivals. Um, which are now more while. accessible than ever. Exactly. And they seem to be all free to sign up to. I would highly recommend um, checking those out. And uh to Elaine Feeney if she's listening to this I'm going to be really embarrassed (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah she's uh amazing and after meeting well getting to see her in person I didn't actually get to be like hi I'm Rebecca (laughs) obviously but um getting to hear her talk about the book and things like that amazing Mm -hmm. Um, I throw up some info on um these upcoming literary festivals up on the Instagram exactly um maybe you should make like Elaine Feeney and follow us there Um, but yeah, that's just my little, um, little bit of, uh, we love you, Elaine. We love you. Um, but yeah, I think we all got so hyped when she actually interacted with (laughs) us on Twitter. We were like, oh my God. The fame, the fortune. Um, she's like, oh my God, unfollow (laughs) her stalkers. We've got Marianne Keys. We've got Elaine. (laughs) We're Um, coming. (laughs) Sally Rooney, you're next, bitch. (laughs) But yeah, uh, moving on to books though. Um, So I'm up first and I'm actually going to just take a picture of my book cover because I uh, haven't got that ready. Well done. We were all in a bit of a rush this morning. Oh, all of us were hot messes. Yeah. Hot mess. I got dressed on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We didn't see it. (laughs) The the Grim Reader OnlyFans coming soon. (laughs) Um, anyway, here we go. All I can think of, I, I know I've said this before, but when I hear the name, The Illustrated Child, all I think of is The Illustrated Mum by Jacqueline Wilson. Oh. <laughs> yeah. All her tattoos. You know what? Uh, Jacqueline Wilson walked so The Illustrated Child could run. Honestly. Uh, even though I remember <laughs> reading The Illustrated Mum, and I think that's one of the books my mum hid after I read because I think she looked into it and she's like "Ooh, I don't know if this is appropriate for my child to be reading it like I was like 10 or 11 when that came out that would have been kind of its target age group though wouldn't it yeah it was one of the younger ones her books are dark though oh they're so dark bitch I read love lessons when I was nine (laughs) (laughs) and that is why we are the way we are yeah I'm still dealing with the trauma I'm just realizing this is going to be extremely unclear to the listener, but <laughs> this Jacqueline Wilson <laughs> has been inspired because Rebecca's book is The Illustrated Child. <laughs> just, we're not a medium, a medium visual. That's visual true. I, I don't think I mentioned the name of this book yet. Oh, I thought we had. <laughs> you did, but you did, but it was like, oh, it kind of came in a little bit left field if, we're, if we can't see it. <laughs> Uh, as this is yeah. famously a, a visual medium <laughs> but a medium visual as I have I'll, I'm, I'm probably just gonna relay the plot of the illustrated mum let's be real but um, okay so this is the illustrated child by Polly Crosby and sorry th- this is such a striking book cover like if I saw this in the shop like I would definitely pick it up it's beautiful it's like a really like pale duck egg blue background 
and then there's a girl looks kind of like you know she's walking on a tightrope or something we don't really see what she's walking on but she has this very free look about her she has like long like gorgeous red hair and gorgeous (laughs) red hair she just doesn't think you have a lovely head of hair no she does um does it herself she does she has her dice and air blade not the, that's the one you dry your hands with in the public toilets what's the one, <laughs> the one you have <laughs> oh my god I don't even remember now but she's wearing like this like nice blue top um and interestingly only the top half of her is colored in it's hard to tell if it, it looks like a painting or a drawing um or if it's kind of realistic I'm not sure but the bottom half of her is just all sketched and then the title is just bold black writing the illustrated child on kind of like a pink like oil paint kind of background um, and says a picture paints a thousand lies and I am gonna run with that <laughs> because okay so I think this centers around a teenager or like you know maybe someone who's like maybe like 12 or 13 like you know she's kind of you know in that weird middle ground between being a child and being a teenager and she comes from a family of artists and she she's always been like like she was so beautiful growing up and like she was like you know a child model and things like that she was always like sitting for like you know her like parents friends like who are all because they move in like big artistic circles and they're like she has this like you know pre-Raphaelite look like her beautiful hair like real English rose beauty and like she she keeps coming up in all these exhibitions um I'm gonna say it's in the UK so like across the UK um this child keeps being seen in all these portraits. So she kind of gets, she becomes well known for that, but it's like a mystery, like of who is this child? Because no one has ever seen her. Like she's painted in all these like beautiful surroundings and beautiful, like, you know, happy scenes and things like that. And she always looks like perfectly put together, but she had her parents are super super overprotective and besides those artists sitting this child never sees the outside world mm. and she her parents like essentially like trap her inside because they they'd like want to wrap her in bubble wrap so nothing happens to her so people will still be like stunned by her beauty and like just want keep like being inspired by her like keep her as this little muse to kind of everyone around her but then eventually she kind of cracks up and she wants to be free and she cuts off her hair and she <gasps> I gets a tramp stamp. And that's where the illustrated mom comes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she gets really into Post Malone and she gets a load of face tattoos. <laughs> As famously, most tattoo studios are willing to um, tattoo 12-year-old faces. (laughs) No, but she tries to, like, alter her appearance as much as she can, like, within her, like, limited means. Um, She gets e-girl bangs. She yeah she she no she does the whole Harry Potter thing from the first book where like you know he shaves his head except for the fringe. (laughs) The movie famously did not depict that, but um, yeah, like. 
her mental health starts to suffer kind of um as she gets older and realizes that her life isn't normal and that like she's never really interacted with kids her own age like no one knows she exists until an art dealer comes along named Richard Osman and he he know he's, he's like, famously very nice he's famously so nice and he's going to be played by Brendan Gleeson <laughs> in the movie um but um no this art dealer like he's he specializes in contemporary UK art and he keeps seeing like this kind of like image of the same girl over and over that it's almost become like a bit of a joke that it's this kind of like trope in like modern art modern UK like realism art I don't know <laughs> this is getting very far away and I don't know where I'm going I'm very sleepy um but he decides to try and figure out who this girl is and what her story is and then it becomes takes an almost like detective twist and tries to get to the bottom of it tries to like he interviews these artists everything and like no one really knows because she's just this girl who sits in like these kind of like artist salons no one really knows what her story is and then eventually we are brought to he eventually tracks down the parents and then there's a kind of like reckoning between him and the parents and this girl eventually gets to tell her story she she gets on the ellen show she gets on the Ellen show. Like, this is basically like... What's, Exclusive what's, interview. What's that thing? The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt or something like that? Something I was going to say, it's like the girl who got Gorilla Glue in her hair and we're waiting for her interview. <laughs> waiting for the, we're waiting for the tell-all. But yeah, I feel like this book is about like her, ta- like this like young girl taking her autonomy back from her parents who just kind of want to profit off her. Yeah, I know that none of that is remotely. Yeah, you're dead wrong. No, I know I'm dead wrong. That is, the plot is off, but like some of the like maybe themes are right. Thank you for shockingly, being she does have red hair. Somehow, Chloe knew. <laughs> but um, somehow yeah. she's actually Doodle Bob from that episode. <laughs> <Rose> Square pants. <laughs> oh my god, the way he used to be like the noise it was scary he was scary yeah. um Mac. right okay <laughs> um so themes are kind of there but the plot no so this uh was one that i saw the cover and it was just back when shops were open and i was like oh. Ooh. Mm, read it is the, so beautiful the blurb, and i was like this sounds up my alley right so um it's one i read i think over the christmas holidays the illustrated child by polly crosby was published in 2020 um and it's a story about um romilly kemp so i can't quite remember the age she is when we meet her but she's quite young i'd say she's around maybe seven okay so she's young um so she lives in it is pretty much like a rundown old house um like it sounds like they have a moat I'm. I'm like oh, well. you. Ha- you have a moat. Yeah. This. Uh, this is kind of like. Is this, this set is... in modern times or? I would say yes. It is. Um. They have a moat, and I'm like you. This is fancy. This is, is fancy. It like a moat not... like a modern home. No, it, it sounds <laughs> like it's like this like small castle vibes, like very very small oh. castle house vibes, um, and uh, so yeah, like. But it's very run down and um, it's in the countryside. I can't remember 
what county it is in the UK, but you were right, it's in the UK. Wow, that um, key detail. <laughs> but um, but we so don't she, know. she lives with her father, Tobias, and um, her cat. Tobias Funke. <laughs> I was thinking of that fella who used to be on on YouTube, Tuboskas. Yes, Tobias. his father. Gonna her keep father. going. Um, and her cat Monty, who she actually gets in the very first chapter, and Monty oh. is like this beautiful little kitten, um, that we meet. Gorgeous. So many. Anyway, her dad, um, like they are broke. Like they're very poor. Um, the meals that they're kind of living on at the start of the book is like beans on toast. You know, it's very much like, oh, um, please somebody help. Yeah. Um. So her dad, in a way to start earning money, um, starts illustrating a series of children's books with Romilly as the main character, hence the illustrated child. Yes. Um, So why they're kind of in that position is um, we we start to learn the kind of family history that they used to live in London um, as a family with the mom and the dad. And um, suddenly she leaves. And this is like all four years before the book starts and they start traveling the dad and Romilly and they kind of they're I think I mean she makes it sound like they go traveling but you're like no they're trying to find somewhere to kind of settle down Mm. um and like they camp they live in B&Bs they kind of join a circus living with the circus for a while do you know um these guys sound fun it does but then you have a story um and the mom has gone to live in a therapeutic retreat center. Um, so the book immediately becomes a massive success. Um, people absolutely love it. And um, he gets a lot of fame. He's uh, There's a bit where he's actually being interviewed on the Terry Wogan show. So it's oh, Terry Wogan was around the 80s, 90s, yeah. was he? So it's kind of said around then. Um, but unfortunately, people become convinced that the books contain a treasure hunt. And they Ooh, go Oh, that never ends well. It doesn't end well, especially when your daughter is the main character. So people go crazy. They start um, camping outside their house, especially during oh, the summer months. Yikes. They start digging up their garden. Like they just, yeah, like that is um, going onto private property. Um, bitch let the flowers grow yeah, like Romilly it's drops a public out of, service announcement <laughs> um, Romilly drops out of school um, because um, she journalists turn up at the school and um, this kind of reminds me of like that subplot in Gone Girl when she's amazing Amy as a kid mm, yeah Do you remember like before she goes missing yeah it is, it this, is a little it, bit. You are listening to The Grim Reader, your favourite cannibalism slash gone girl related <laughs> podcast. But um, You she, don't even like gone girl. It's just always, there's always something. <laughs> like she, because she was new in the school as well, she hadn't really made any friends yet. So she's taken out before she gets the chance to meet anybody. So she's very, very isolated. Um, but Romley herself then, she's stuck at home and during the summer months especially she just doesn't leave the house because people follow her Um, like if she does go out she has to disguise herself um and like even people coming up to her at times it gets creepier as the book goes on because she's she's only seven you said yeah we she grows up through the book as well so it does there's a point in it that you're like 
that's groping um sexual assault um arrest him um so it starts off quite light um Romilly herself gets obsessed with the treasure hunt and is determined to solve it um so I would say it starts off quite innocent. Like you're just there like, oh, this is just such a cute family. And then the books start and then all all that kind of stuff comes into it. And you're like, oh, yikes. Oh, no. Um, so it gets it gets much darker um, as the book goes on. I'd say the last I'd say 20 percent of the book is dark, um, which wasn't quite what I'd signed up to. I thought it was going to be a bit more of a lighter book that like this always happens (laughs) it was going to be to all of us it was going to be a bit more whimsical i was like oh my god a kind of a lighter book um do you know catch me watching bridgerton (laughs) yeah but oh my god yeah it's i feel cheated (laughs) um as we go through the book tobias she it's all told from romilly's point of view but where she kind of is like he becomes a little bit more eccentric and she gets to meet her granny and her granny granny says like he's beginning to forget quite a bit and things like that and we can tell he's going through early onset dementia um which is heartbreaking yeah and there's no one that steps in to help look after Romilly and I would say big trigger warning to me a lot of it does read as child abuse there is a lot of neglect um do you know he he ends up just locking himself a lot in his study to write the books and to draw them and things like that and you're there kind of going she isn't in school you're supposed to be homeschooling her um like at times you're like she she's just roaming free like there it, it's i'm probably not making it sound half as sad as it is when you're reading it no but it sounds pretty sad it, it, it mm. is i'd say a big warning with that um so, I mean, you also see a lot more of their family history and understand like, OK, even if the mom comes back, that's not healthy either. So it's a very strained relationship there. And she's at that age where she's trying to understand this adult's world through her child's viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And she can't make sense of it. You know, she comes up with her own stories. So a lot of it is kind of imaginary. It reads as imaginary at times. Mm-hmm. Um she meets another girl, a local girl who is in a similar erratic family home situation called Stacy. And in, at first you're like, finally a friend, someone to talk to. But she disappears for a while for a good bit in the book and then comes back at the end. And you're like, OK, this is mm-hmm. uh, she becomes incredibly controlling and pretty much uh, abusive. And you're like, oh, God, things have gotten worse oh no 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 um like it's just it's it just dark 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 and um yeah it's um another warning i i and you're gonna hate this uh there are some depictions of animal abuse no yeah and this is why trigger warnings need to be on books i would like yeah. trigger warnings I, yeah, I just think so sometimes true. when I don't know what I've signed up for in a book, it's not going to give it away. It's not going to give it away. But just have a little trigger warning because you don't know what someone's experienced in life. That's the thing. And just a little way to do on video games and movies when there's a little exactly. Little I, I, I think that needs to be done. Um, so 
she leads such a lonely life and she's unaware of it quite a lot of the time, do you know? Um, but you're re- you're reading it as I think as well from like a teacher's point of view and, you know, you have to do training and like recognizing signs of abuse in mm. children. You're just reading it and you're going, oh my God, there is no one there to report this and help her, do you know? Especially as the father gets worse and they're back to kind of, the money's gone, all that kind of stuff. There's no one there and she doesn't trust anybody. There is no one for her to tell anymore. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really worrying. And then the tre- you find out what the treasure is and oh dear God. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, it, I would say it is a dark book. It, it has this beautiful cover and you think, oh, it's going to be really whimsical, all this. No, um, I would say it is very well written. Um, I'd say very well written for about... 60 70 percent of the book and then we get to the end and she I think she got a little bit lost in what she wanted to do okay um and this seems I thought that now reading it like I I I finished the book and I was like "Mm, what I'm Um, not satisfied I'm not satisfied like it just it gets a little bit she can't quite join up the dots in sections and it just reads as very complicated um so it does like it, it's very convoluted the ending like we we start losing characters like we don't have many anyway we start losing characters and they're never mentioned again do you know and you're like these were important people um we're just dropped intentional or flawed writing i think uh, i think she did it I think it reads to me as flawed. Okay. Um, I, I think when there's such an important part, it just felt like, okay, that's them dealt with. I'm moving on. And you're like, this isn't dealt with. There's all this unresolved issues underneath mm-hmm. for me when I was reading it. But at the end of it, you're kind of there going, how much of this, of what Romilly has created through this book is real and what's imaginary. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give it away who I thought was like, is this an imaginary person altogether? And is this just her portraying herself onto someone else? It, it just not tied up very well at the end. It, it was kind of one where you're just like, it felt like it had to have been rewritten and reworked quite a lot in the editing process. And it just lost the way completely. Yeah. And then it's actually quite confusing to read. And then I, I thought that initially when I read it and then I was when I was doing my research, this seems to be a big point that people make. They're like, I enjoyed 75 percent of the book, the last 25 percent. No. Um, and I'm like, OK, I'm not on my own. Do you know that that feeling of validation that you're like, well done me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I am own. an astute reader. Um, but uh, <laughs> which, you know, um, yeah, but it's it's <clears> one that I think. I had different hopes for it and just the way certain things are dealt with along the way and that it, it gets very, very dark. Did I love it? No. Um, What's but yeah, the rating? What's the, the rating? rating? I'd probably give it, oh, I'd probably give it maybe a four or five. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. spicy. That's quite it's, low. It's it's quite low, but I think when I think about other books I've I've reviewed and things, I think I've been very generous with some of my markings <laughs> <laughs> along the way. Along the way, I think the tougher me is going to be coming out and going, "No, Rebecca, be realistic." <laughs> I, I just think I, after researching the book as well, like this was nominated for some awards and that. I think. Did I do I agree with that? No, because I've read so much more powerful books that deal with issues like this so much better. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it's it's just not something I think. Not every book can have a resolution, but you're there kind of going like you're just left with this utter trauma at the end. <laughs> and like it like, would you read other books by the author? I'd be interested in it. I think her writing is is very like it is beautiful. Like the the descriptions of the children's book, like she describes mm. the writing in detail. It sounds gorgeous. Like so, you kind of just want the children's book. You want? I want the children's <laughs> book. I want. I want those books. Like they sound like. Do you know the? Um, is it the fox, the mole, and the boy? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. book. It sounds like that, but like with a little girl and like some of them. There, it's um. I can remember some of the titles it's Romilly and the picnic and it's all about like Romilly and Monty like having picnics by a lake Um, another one is Romilly and the windmill uh, Romilly and the circus and Romilly and the and Christmas Romilly at Christmas or something like that they all sound absolutely beautiful like a collector's item of Mm. like having all four they they are gorgeous um, and definitely books that I would have absolutely loved when I was a when I was younger I'd love them now um like those, it is it is beautifully written at times, but I just think not there's there's books that are better. And I think especially with the ending, that took a lot of points off. Um, because it's it's kind of I mean, maybe I'm just an idiot and I just didn't understand the ending. Or like I'm making this up with the imaginary character, but I was like, no, this this seems like not real to me at all. I just didn't think it was handled well. So yeah, it's it's on the lower side. I will say that. Um, but yeah, um, I think I did a little bit of research into this um, or into Polly Crosby. She's an English author um, mm-hmm. and uh, she's done very well. Uh, in 2018, she won the Curtis Brown Creatives Yesterday Scholarship, which allowed her to finish her book, this one. Um, and the illustrated child was the runner-up in the Bridport Prizes Peggy Chapman Andrews Award for her first novel. That is one long title, I can tell you that. Though <laughs> um, so it is, I think she also finished her MA in creative writing with this book. Um, but it's actually published in the US under a different title. And that's kind of up for discussion as well. It's um, in the US, it's published on as The Book of Hidden Wonders. Oh, and to me, that makes it sound even more whimsical. Like yeah. you'd be thinking like, this is going to be just this bringing me back to my childhood with like this, you know, when you, when you go into a book and it's creating this completely magical world that you're like, I'd I be wish I grew angry. up in <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking when I At read At least this. this evokes Jacqueline Wilson. So I know there's misery ahead. <laughs> it is. But I think in the US, I'd be even more annoyed if I got the Book of Hidden Wonders. That's I'd a lovely be, title, though. Not for is. this book, I, but it's a I lovely title. I would be angry with with that because I was like, I I don't think that quite sums it up. I think the illustrated child works very well. I don't know why they changed it for the US. I tried to look into that 
into that and I'm like okay it must be copywriting of some sort yeah there must be something mm. under that same title but um interesting yeah Zootopia um, and Zootropolis <laughs> um it'll all be always be Zootopia to me but anyway um that's my book for this week so apologies back to something grim but uh <laughs> a bit more critical of it um, you're so listening to the grim reader. reader um Chloe you're up next Ooh. Here we go. I'm actually not going to edit out the review. Ooh. It's vague. It's vague. So okay. I'm, gonna... I'm guessing, aren't I? Yeah. Yes. Oh, this okay. is gorgeous. Oh. Isn't it beautiful? Oh. Oh, that is a beautiful cover. I love how we both went for kind of a duck egg kind of color. Yes, th- that's the vibe oh. this week. Duck egg. Duck I'm sorry, I will egg. soon break the vibe. But this book, God, the color scheme is really magic. Oh, it's so beautiful. Um, this book is Sterling Days by Rowan Hisao. Hisao, Hisao I think. Hisao Buchanan? Buchanan, yeah. Buchanan. Buchanan. Okay. Uh, do you want to say that in one go so I don't butcher it? So Rowan Hisao Buchanan. Okay, that's who wrote this book, Sterling Dave. <laughs> and there's a lovely review at the very be- the very top that Chloe's decided to leave in. And it says, beautifully weird, a singular novel. It doesn't and tell you why, anything. So Yeah, it's, it's a really lovely kind of, um, it kind of makes me want to read it. So I'm looking at, um, this book is The Duck Egg Blue, the same theme as Becca's. And it's got this window right in the center, this square window that has this really lovely kind of um, washed peach sky. And it's a little bird sitting on the windowsill looking out into a cityscape where other birds are flying. And oh, Sterling Days, like what a beautiful title. Mm-hmm. What a little birdie boy. <laughs> um, now, part of me like wants to go on the bird thing and be like this is bird man but i don't <laughs> girl follow your heart follow your heart um i think this book is i don't okay i'm gonna go with like i don't know why this is my image but it is i think this book is about a little kid growing up in a city kind of apartment block and he's in uh upper new york in um not manhattan well no he's in manhattan let's be real it's a it looks like a bougie kind of a (laughs) a vibe and those windows are massive so like this is a nice apartment but it's city living it's small kind of confined space and i think he lives with his dad um, who is a business broker on Wall Street and they have a lot of money they have a nice apartment they have a nice life but um, the boy misses his mother who I think she I think she would have passed away because she's not in his life at all anymore I don't think they've separated I think she's passed away so this little boy is growing up right in the heart of New York City and he spends an awful lot of time in this apartment because um, he has a nanny um, while his dad is working. And the, the, the kind of setup where he spends a lot of his day is 
at a desk in front of this window because his dad is determined to give his son like a really good life the way that his dad's parents had that like he's going to work hard he's going to get a great job and he's going to be able to support himself but I think the son is spending so much time being tutored and working and being in school and kind of doing all these extracurricular activities with his nanny that he's missing out on an awful lot of what childhood is supposed to be. So while he's looking out the window, he's seeing like just like this bird on the cover is seeing all these birds fly. This little kid is seeing all of the kids in Central Park um, playing with um, like all in costumes and kind of doing dumb shit on skateboards and just being stupid and fun and childlike. And he instead is living this really upper class life, like in a really quiet apartment with um, home cooked meals and everything on the surface of a good childhood without the fun. So he knows he's really lucky, but he's missing something and he's watching all of these kids all the time. And he's also watching the birds and how they are just they're free and they can kind of fly around and do what they'd like to so I think this little boy grows up um by this window for a lot of his life and a lot of his early years are watching all the things that could be happening but they're not I eventually think that there is a bird that starts to perch on his windowsill and won't ever come in if they open the window, though, he'll kind of sit there contently. And it's it's almost as if instead of watching the birds outside, he'll watch the boy. And it becomes one of the boy's kind of closest contacts. Yeah. yeah and he he just it's it's almost like he could kind of speak to this bird without judgment and without like, you know, he's like, I wish I wish I wasn't in this apartment. I wish I was somewhere closer to the park. I wish I lived near other kids. And he can see that all these kids down below are poorer and are um, in public school. And he can see how lucky he is. And he feels really guilty for saying it all out loud because he's like, they probably look up at me and wish for this kind of a life where they're in a high, a high apartment and a really nice school with like all the toys I could want in the world. And I think it's this little boy is confiding in this bird. And then one day the bird vanishes when the boy turns. And as this happens, everything kind of starts to go wrong. So I think everything has been going wrong in the background anyway. I think the boy hasn't realized how miserable his father's been with, um, you know, with his office job. And despite the fact they have all this money, his dad cries every night. And he doesn't go anywhere or have any hobbies or have any friends because he's such a kind of high investment banker. Like you kind of have to be a dick. It's in the job title. (laughs) It also also proves that like money does not bring you happiness. Yeah. And like capitalism exploits workers and then workers aren't going to treat you nice because you're being a dick. Waiting for capitalism to come into it. The main character in all our books is capitalism. (laughs) Yes. The, the menacing demon of capitalism. <laughs> so I think this boy starts growing up. He's a teenager now. 
and he's he's kind of he doesn't have as much time to think about things because prospects are coming in and he's working towards his um, final exams and he's putting in college applications but he can't stop thinking about this bird and um and of all the memories that he kind of held to it with all these um the kids that he's been watching in the window and I think as he gets older, he starts seeing the cracks in his dad's happiness and that like maybe there wasn't any happiness there to begin with. And this kid who's been set up to follow in his dad's footsteps starts. Um, it, the, all that fake starts cracking. And I, I, I think it has a really like a really miserable ending for him because I think he wants to be free. And I think it's, oh my God, I mean, it's so fucking dark. But I think he goes to that window, boys. No. He wants to fly far, far away, like a forest oh, gone. Nikki, no, I've rubbed no. off too much on Nikki. No. I'm sorry. Oh my God, I've become the Grim. <laughs> <laughs> I'll relinquish I, my title. <clears throat> I think in the boys' mind, it's a happy ending. And I think in everyone else's, it's a loss. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Jesus, Nikki. I feel like you've it's just. It's the duck like, egg blue. It's the duck egg blue. Okay. <laughs> which apparently means depressing story. Wow. Oh, oh God. That's what I learned from Becca's book. It has to be I- depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh we learned God. some valuable lessons from this book that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalism kills us all. Okay, Sterling Days. What is it actually about? Please say it's not that. (laughs) It is not. Oh, thank God. It is not. (laughs) Are there some little little bits you hinted at? Maybe. So Sterling Days by Rowan Hiseo Buchanan was um, published in 2019. She's a British-American author, but like she... Like, I think her mother is half Chinese, half Japanese. So, like, she identifies as Japanese, British, Chinese, American, saying that I've always had my hyphens. So it's hard for me to imagine how I'd write if I was only one thing, which I think is really cool. Um, But she um, also she had a really successful book in 2016 called Harmless Like You. Um, So this is kind of the follow up to that book. Um, so she um i think she had won the like been nominated for the costa book award um for that things like that it it was really quite a critical success so this book centers around this young couple um mina and oscar and they've been together for like 10 years um at this point and they're in their late 20s now um and they um sorry i lost my train of thought (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> when they start dating Mina like is like introduced as she's bisexual vegetarian and is on meds so hello oh, we love hello target demographic <laughs> <laughs> but um so the book actually opens trigger warning from the beginning um so it starts with Mina staring over the edge of the George Washington Bridge um in New York um um like waiting to jump essentially um before um a police car um pulls up to and like contacts um her husband to take her home so yeah she's um she's completely miserable um she's 
an associate professor of classics and um, she's doing her PhD. Um, and this is interesting because the, the blur, I picked up this book because I just thought it was beautiful. And then I read the blurb mm. and it said, Mina, a classicist, searches for solutions to her failing mental health using mythological women. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm into I- this just marked this as one to read on Goodreads and I was like didn't recognize the title but now I'm like I'm hearing the plot this is oh, I just marked familiar. it and when I heard mythological women as well I was like oh my god yes, yes. <laughs> so I loved this I was like oh I'm so in I am so like she's writing this book like it the whole start of the book we find out that she's writing a book about female survivors in Greek and Roman mythology because like you know in Greek and Roman mythology the women are usually either die or are transformed into like Mm -hmm. you know some animal and they're punished or whatever like there's very few stories of women who survive to the end of their stories um so like she's focusing on Penelope, Psyche, Leda and I'm like this sounds great like show me the parallels with your mental health and like this sounds cool like I want to see your tale of survival but then we find out that like after this is actually her second suicide attempt. She had attempted um, suicide on their wedding night six months ago as well. Aww. So like despite being together for 10 years, their relationship has been really, really failing since they got married. And like, yeah, so um, Oscar is thinking like, OK, um, it's time for a fresh start. Um, I think we should move to London where he grew up. And so they do so first of all I'm like this seems like a weird move to like you know when someone I, I get, get the whole further fresh away thing. from family yeah like further away from everything you know your job and then she decides to come off um her antidepressants because this is a quote from the book she wants to learn the floor she wants to learn the floor map of her sadness and I'm like oh. <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh, um, I think this is bad advice but go off this queen. is terrible advice and then like Oscar is like really concerned about her and like becomes like quite controlling of her whereabouts and he like makes her download um, a GPS tracker on her phone um, to like you know so he can always see where she is at any time and so yeah like they move into this apartment there's this whole kind of like subplot about um Oscar's parents um and how they have this um apartment that they want to do up and sell in London and that's kind of like their excuse for going there um so he has a fairly they have a fairly easy way of getting a fresh start and so like Mina is kind of struggling while she's there she after coming off her medication she uses like writing lists as a coping mechanism and she tries to like throw herself back into her book like one of her lists is about like you know the women who survived in mythology um and their relationship becomes like more and more strained and he becomes very frustrated with her and then weirdly (laughs) the POV changes and we get Oscar's point of view um which gone girl it was really jarring to be honest um I was like this just makes me feel like I'm getting two characters who aren't fleshed out (laughs) um but anyway one one of the major plot points is that um like we meet Oscar one of Oscar's best friends growing up and then we're introduced to his sister Phoebe and also I'm like Phoebe hello Greek mythology um and I keep waiting for like, you know, this whole Greek mythology thing to like really take off. 
um but yeah she meets phoebe um who's kind of like she's a bit of a hot mess express she's like in her like late 20s early 30s she's like she's after getting a divorce um she's like really cute and quirky and she has like this art history lifestyle crossover blog and like she's just like a millennial caricature <laughs> um, but a doggo like when I was reading it <laughs> when I was reading it though like all I could picture was like if I was making a series out of this or something um all I could see is Natasha Leon in it um you know like um from Russian Doll and Orange is the New Black like I could just picture her with like you know the wild hair and like you know she's kind of mad but you kind of love her um queen yeah she like I just think Natasha Leon is an absolute queen but then yeah Mina kind of becomes like obsessed with Phoebe she just like is like she just wants to be her friend she can't stop thinking about her like she kind of like follows her to work one day like you know she she becomes really fixated on Phoebe and like Phoebe's the only person she knows in the city as well so like she's totally alone so she just starts fixating on Phoebe and then like her relationship with Oscar is like at an all-time low and then he he has a very strange relationship with his family but his father runs this um alcohol merchandising business um in New York and he kind of needs Oscar to come back to New York to work with this particular client so Oscar kind of like jumps at the chance and is just like okay <laughs> see ya I'm off to New York don't know when I'll be back um <laughs> I'm not sure yeah he is <laughs> but like they're both I hate them both. Um, (laughs) uh, So like Mina is left there and then she kind of explores this really like blossoming relationship with Phoebe and she just becomes obsessed with Phoebe and they, you know, she, I don't want to give too much away, but like we all know where this is going. (laughs) But um, yeah, so herself and Phoebe have this kind of, deepening relationship um and that pretty much destroys any semblance of relationship left with oscar so that's pretty much the book <laughs> like it's <laughs> it like some like, points is about, there more that we're we haven't read there are there are there's like family subplots and stuff and kind of exploring like you know asian american family dynamics and things like that and like that is interesting but first of all the fact that it's split between both of their points of view i hate because gone girl is that like i don't oscar i i get nothing from oscar's point of view you know like it's Mm it's just totally unnecessary I was like why would you not why would you choose to do that I I didn't understand the choice to do that I give us this is really a book about Mina more than their relationships so I don't Mm -hmm. really get why we got his point of view so like it just he doesn't seem fleshed out and it takes away from Mina's story as well so I just thought that was unnecessary and now this is where the book La- there's a couple of places this book just lost me um like the, the writing style is really really try hard sometimes like sometimes she really hits the mark and it's beautiful mm. but like a lot of the time like one of my favorite lines in it is like 
a bald man whose head gleamed like sucked candy and I was like that is great I love this line so it's so beautiful but there's one line in it and like I, I nearly came off the book a body in scrubs the color of the swimming pool where she'd made her first tentative laps as a preschooler <gasps> go away <laughs> get lost in the bin in the bin and what was the other one a breeze ran through the trees and the leaves applauded and I was like yeah mm-hmm. I feel Anyways. like I've read that line in other books it's, yeah it's not too bad it's a bit hallmark the preschooler thing now got yeah, me no, the like, preschooler oh, one is like, I now. think though if that's like running through the book a lot that reminds me of the Lisa Genova book yeah if, if that's just constantly running through the book and it doesn't quite join up with the rest of their writing I just exactly it, it feels like it's trying too hard and you're like that's it like yeah. when she writes simply like she's a much better writer and some of these lines are great like that bald man line I just think is mm. chef's kiss amazing I love it <laughs> but like it just it hit it misses the mark more than it hits it and like they really stand out and yeah. I don't think that's a, that's a sign of good writing. It's a sign, like, you know, of what might be to come later in her career. I don't know. But it just sounds like someone who's read a lot of beautiful writing and is trying to, like, reach for that. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's, like, it is a book about depression. And, like, you know what? Depression is bleak and it's boring and it's monotonous. And so is this book. Like, <clears throat> and I just think there's other things that annoy me is that like I I signed up for the Greek mythology and I got like a few fleshed out pa- a few like skeletal pages about mythology like like where was that like if you're gonna make it's the whole thing about mis-selling a book again sorry I'm really grumpy yeah. about this book because yeah I'm just grumpy about it I don't it's blame like you the- to be honest though I don't it's blame like, you for yeah, being grumpy. It's like with Beach Read where it's like, you know, this is, you know, it's not a traditional love story. Yes, it is. And that's fine. <laughs> Just market ah! it as such. Like, there's nothing, like, the review of this book is like, you know, delightfully weird. And like, there's nothing weird about this book. It's just a book about, like, a depressed person and a failing relationship. Like, and, the, like, I don't think the mythology was enough of a plot point to, like, you know, make it a selling point. I mean, for it's me... A, it rings a lot of... It rings a lot of similarity to Exciting Times. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Really um, It's not as well done, though, as Exciting Times. Yeah, and it's I guess as well, as well... Like, even when you think of your critiques, that's something that Exciting Times doesn't have. Like, it's the one point of view... And the writing is consistent throughout, even though it's like horribly bleak and grim and this girl like yeah. needs help. It's it kind of stays level and makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Like you can have a, a like character you don't like, but you can still like their perspective is valid and it can be well written and things like that. Whereas this is like two pretty unlikable characters. It's I'm not getting enough of either of them it's yeah I don't know it's it's just dull and like you know like it's not like I said like you know depression is bleak and boring a lot of the time it's it's not a sexy mental illness like you know it's there's and yeah I mean that's reflected well in it it's 
not exciting and like a lot of the time it is just her pacing around her apartment or not wanting to get out of bed and like we do get that but I'm not sure I'm just not sure what this is trying to do and like that mm-hmm. whole kind of element of it just kind of turns Phoebe into this manic pixie dream girl like someone who's going to pull her out of her depression you know like and it just makes Phoebe so two-dimensional and like oh I don't know and then the whole way through I was waiting for like you know you know where where are we getting like these like you know female heroes of Greek and Roman mythology like there's no parallels drawn and it's literally just that she's a classics associate professor (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I was like just, missed like, opportunities. Lit- I literally had that written in my notes. Just missed opportunity in black capitals. Mm. Um, yeah, that I'd be, so I'd good. be really angry reading yeah, that. Book- I mean, immediately, like I'm trying to like, how could she have worked in like the Greek mythology, like becoming That's obsessed with major. her characters and work, exactly. and like it's that such she's a major thing. Imagining them or projecting them onto real life people in her life. Yeah, exactly. Like, it could have been done. All. It could have been done in so many different ways. Do you know? That's like, like, even... such a brilliant idea. Like, mm. I just, I'm so disappointed by that because it's literally just fleeting references and it's meant to be, I feel like it's meant to be considered like this big part of her, but I'm not getting it. It's just this book she's kind of abandoned. And I, I think I'm going to have to take it off my to-read list. Yeah, to be honest, oh, I'm, I'm still so intrigued in that I want to read Harmless Like You because it is much, like, a lot of reviews would say that, like, you know, it's obviously the better book and that, like, you know, she's a good writer and she can clearly do better than this. Mm. Like, it, it hasn't gotten awful reviews. Like, you know, it's kind of, you know, the middling kind of Goodreads average. Yeah. Like, it's like three and a half stars. But, like... I don't know I was just so angry and like I hit a point with this book that I was like I'm so sick of reading about these characters like Mm -hmm. in general I'm like I'm done reading like you know realist contemporary literature about mental illness I'm kind of I've hit a wall with it I'm done that's so fair I felt the same after exciting times I was like it's just so grim and you don't want to help yourself and I can't help you and now I'm just frustrated that's the thing (laughs) and like you know like it's a it's such a common and valid story to tell so like I'm like I don't I I don't get to be mad about this but like I do when it's poorly written sorry (laughs) (laughs) what would you give it out of 10 Look, realistically, it's not a it's not the worst written book. Like, you know, there's really good elements of it. Mm. So like my heart and my head are telling me two different things. But like, God, I hated this book. I'm so happy when it was done. <laughs> I was just so annoyed. <laughs> I feel it's going to be a See, low score. I, I'm guessing I'm never going to be able to I'm never going to be able to review books that I hate because I don't make myself read them. That's a, I would hate reading it, though. You know, like I got to the point it was sometimes like you hate books because they're so boring like I have famous famously my story with giving up books was the John Elliott Gardner book about Bach and like I love Bach Bach is my main boy and it was the like for a biography of someone else the writer only talked about himself and I was so annoyed at it that I I but I was like determined to finish it because I was like I'm a failure if I don't finish this book and then one of my lectures in college like I was talking to him about it and he'd be like really into Bach as well and he was like oh yeah that was terrible I gave up halfway and then suddenly a cloud lifted and I was like if you give it up up I can give it up too (laughs) I did that with Herman Koch during the week and I may eventually go back but I probably won't I will never finish that book out of 10 
it probably deserves a five but I'm giving it a two and a half <laughs> oh wow oh, I was so angry with this book so he's cranky today girl <laughs> I was, like I hadn't read this book in a few months and then like I was researching it and then all the feelings came back <laughs> I was like god I hate it oh and like looking at that cover again the cover is so that's beautiful. the thing I literally picked it up in the library I saw the spine I, I read the name and I was like ooh and then I looked at the cover and I was like wow oh then I the, the cover the is like and I was like Canva, like the cover is like Canva perfection. I do think the cover is like a nod to bisexual lighting. Yes, <laughs> this is real. Yeah, like I, 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 I just kind of thought that when I was sending it in, I was like, "Ooh, interesting!" Like it's all the same colors. It's, it's, and that's obviously a major plot point. Um, Ooh, but... That's that. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Was that thought out or or what? Mm. But um. Yeah, interesting. Oh, it should have been better. I just wanted. I think I'm so angry because I wanted it to be so much better. Oh, I know. Wow, oh, I'm cross. I need a hot chocolate. Okay. I'm gonna wildcard this shit and I'm gonna fire my book into the group chat. Do it. Oh, <laughs> Take okay. away from my rant. Uh, this we is... are away from duck egg blue. We are away from <laughs> duck egg blue, big time. This is girl A by Abigail Dean and I have seen that this has been all over um, like bookshop websites and things like yeah. that but I don't know what it's about it reminds um, me of the vibes and scribes bookmarks so yeah <gasps> yeah it's the same colour palette as yeah the same kind of like yeah. edges so it's it's a girl a young well you don't know if she's young or whatnot but um a girl with I'd say blonde hair um and um really nice freckles actually on her face I know she's so pretty. Um, like it's definitely like I'd say very natural makeup like the no makeup look and um except for the mascara because the mascara is coming over <laughs> the the um line from the text <laughs> yeah, true <laughs> so I'm like that mascara whatever it is need the name of it because it makes your lashes need look it. nice and long but anyway she's um, wearing it's superhero girl she's looking good so I'm going to say that, uh, well, wait, I have to describe the cover. Oops, getting ahead of myself. So there's a big yellow A um, in the forefront. Um, the picture is in black and white in the background. And then girl A is in like um, a black box um, with white writing. And there's two reviews on it. I loved it, uh, Paula Hawkins and An Astonishing Achievement uh, by Jesse Burton. Jesse Burton is the author of The Militarist, which I covered many many episodes ago Ooh. so right Paula Hawkins as well is um I know what she's written she, and I can't yeah. it can't come to my head <laughs> girl on the train yeah yes okay so two very different vibes there <laughs> <laughs> with uh the miniaturist and um girl on the train right because the girl actually in the photo looks like um the the girl from the girl on the train do you know the, the murder victim? No, the murder victim. Oh, yeah. Doesn't she? I can't remember that movie well enough. She does. Um, to me, she looks like her. I'm gonna say, okay, girly. Okay. <clears throat> I'm gonna Here say go. that this is set in. I was gonna go for a cheery one, and then you pick this book. And I'm like, right, <laughs> grim it is. <laughs> it, to be honest, the cover couldn't not have grim vibes. Yeah. So I'm going to say that this is kind of set in a dystopian world. Um, 
And uh, I'm not going to say that it's futuristic. I would say more that it's a world where things have gone very backwards. It's 2022. It's 2022, <laughs> apparently. Um, but it's in a world where um, the ideals are held more on what's happened previously in the world. So mm. um, obviously it's a male-dominated society. <laughs> Nothing's changed in that respect. And um, women are treated even worse. Like we're not treated well now. Oh, <laughs> we're going Just back you to, wait. <laughs> we're going back to the time of like women need to be in the house um like prehistoric times <laughs> almost and women aren't even given names um they are literally named after the alphabet and hello margaret atwood she's called girl a oh. she is um i'd say this is a society where it was actually gonna go with that kind of handmaid's uh tale a little bit and kind of go with they haven't had a young they haven't had baby girls in a very long time. It's just been boys, boys, boys. They've been genetically modifying it so that only boys will be born. And they're getting to the point where you're like, right, we need new girls coming up so that they can have children. Um, and it's all about like creating the perfect society. And, you know, everything is handpicked by the men of what they want. So anyway, girl A is the first girl born. And... Um, you know, she's not deemed to be kind of like, oh, she doesn't get a name. It's girl A. And then it goes on girl B, girl C, girl D until it's like girl AA, girl AB, girl AC, you know, all that mm -hmm. um, series of it. And so she's growing up and she's put into, um, she's taken away from the mother immediately. Um, the, the boys are breastfed, whereas the girls are just like put into this cot. I'd say like, barely I'd say like hay on the top of it it's a concrete cot pretty much um oh, and like they're drop kicked into it they are just like don't care they they're seen as they're not useful until they they have their periods and they can start pushing babies out oh, um so she grows up and um do you know everything's been genetically handpicked so that, like she's attractive and um things like that and you know she's kind of put to work at like cleaning and scrubbing at like four years old and you know learning to speak she you know it's always been kind of like gibberish up until this point she's actually learning English or whatever language um but actually be cleaning and being around the men and hearing and understanding so like that's the point that it's at like no basic level education um and then the the older women once they can't have babies they're kind of just taken out and shot um and it's 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 not seen <laughs> i love the way you said that so casually like they're just like taken out and shot uh, yeah <laughs> no big so, deal let's move on next plot point there is an older woman um i'd say she's she was like a medical marvel, like she could keep having babies until like her 60s. And she's she's taken out to the woods to be executed. And she um, attacks the guy that's her executioner and she runs away. Yes. And yes, this is queen. like this legend that the the men try to, to put down and say, no, this never happened. Um, and, you know, this is a mystery. And it's just when Gurley is beginning to kind of have a mind of her own and kind of be like she she sees that she's now seeing the younger boys because she's growing up now let's say she's around age 10 and she's seeing 
okay, this is what my life's going to be. And, and she's there like, I, I don't feel happy about this. And, you know, she's seen men literally just attack women and rape them if they see them about. And she's there kind of going, this just doesn't feel right. It's not sitting right. And then she hears of this. It's now kind of a legend that this woman ran and she's starts plotting that she's going to get out. Yes. Yeah. Woo. Cool. Escape the patriarchy. Girl boss. Girl um, boss. <laughs> so she starts planning and you know, she is incredibly young and she starts trying to think, right, when is the best time? And she's like, okay, insemination day seems to be like when they're the most dis- distracted. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm being, I'm being brutal here. Um, insemination. This is all very fleshed out. Girl, brutal, brutal is one word. This is like <laughs> horror. Relentless. Um, hi, Stephen King, Margaret Atwood, coming for your gigs. <laughs> um, but Girl, it's... Stephen King wouldn't write this. He'd be cancelled. <laughs> True, actually. It's more Margaret Atwood. But um, so anyway, she's like, okay, this is the perfect day to run away. This is when they're distracted. And um, so she takes her things and she's there kind of going, right, there's guard dogs. Um, she starts... Um, starving herself so that she can keep scraps of food to distract the dogs um mm. and um i thought you're going to say like to stop her period or something and i'm like oh my god I know. she, like, she well she be enough to like well. pull her wrist through the shackles um, I was like, <laughs> so she she starts um when she's cleaning she starts taking just like they have very minimal clothes but she takes sorry but what age is she at this point roughly i'm gonna say that she's kind of coming 11 to 12 so this okay. is this is the time where the she's crunch like, this, time this is not good uh she she's now being examined each week to see like they collect her underwear to see how she this got is her period. so so dark Becca. <laughs> I, I can't remember like the level. detail like you know the level I'm like, of I'm coherency. actually feeling faint <laughs> um it's it's gonna get worse so anyway oh. she she oh, has like minimal clothes no. and she she hides one um and uh while she's cleaning then the dirt she starts blackening the clothes as well the the clothes that she's hidden away so that she thinks I'm going to disguise myself somewhat trying to get out because I'd say the the clothes are pure white you know women's pureness all that shite so anyway she starts blackening the clothes and then it comes to insemination day and oh god uh, women are led away and the men are like very distracted with their tubes (laughs) and all that and she's like right she starts edging her way towards you know freedom and she starts you know she keeps looking back going okay is it is it safe to go now and she's watching the guards are kind of being called and things like that to you know if someone women are protesting you know i mean obviously no one is agreeing to this um, oh my mom I says this. i have to go home now immediately sorry <laughs> bye <laughs> um, i want to end the call yeah i'm sorry this is like a massive trigger warning to whoever's listening <laughs> this, this is beyond alone. the trigger warning like click, this is like, beyond like this is this fast is like, forward this is dystopian <laughs> like hellish like anyway she she makes it she runs oh thank fuck running for her life (laughs) and she is running 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 and she's there like okay like she is imagine how scared she is trying to make it i'm fucking scared she doesn't know how far she has to run and 
you know, she keeps running and running and she gets to the woods and she starts like crossing a lake. She doesn't know how to swim. And she's like, damn it, I have to make it as far as possible. And um, she starts being like, what do I have to eat? And she starts eating grass. And she's like, I, I don't know what's edible, what's not edible. Wow, I love and, this episode of I Survived. And anyway, uh, <laughs> she, it's realized that she's... <laughs> she's gone missing and um the men are thinking okay did she have a job to do maybe she just got lost or you know something lured her into the you know out of their compound or whatever and um so they start blaring what she doesn't know is that they have like these megaphones that can start blaring in the woods like attention girl a or whatever girl a has gone missing all men must report back to compound and we begin the search and what they don't know is that the woman that ran away hears this and she's like, oh, my God, I have to save this girl. Um, so she goes off hunting. She's she's built her own like underground secret lair. Um, yes. And um, she she goes and eventually finds the girl like at death's door. She's she's starving. She's been out, I'd say, for I mean, she was already starving herself. So she's gone without water now for a while. And she carries her back. And anyway, she wakes up in this underground compound itself. It's And she finds herself surrounded by women of all different ages. And um, Girl bosses. Yeah. And they're there kind of going, you are safe. Um, and things like that. And it's this kind of world of like, oh, my God, finally. Um, and she just starts crying. And the women are like, no, no. Like, let it all out. Um don't be embarrassed or ashamed um and it turns out she she hears a story she's like how is there so many of you and she hears the story that the 60 something year old woman um started she knew when executions would happen she started like hiding out in the woods and would attack the men and she'd run with the women away yeah so, like for the past few years no one's actually been murdered retribution they, they've started like creating their own underground like boss ass ninja kind of stuff menopausal that, women that they can <laughs> literally take back the women and give them a life yes. so like she set up like this like all this kind of therapy stuff they're they're like talking about their experiences but they've got a plan in action to storm the compound and <gasps> save all the women in there girl write this Thank book fucking god <laughs> so um, I'm gonna say that like you know that's I'm not going to finish how it ends, like, obviously. Um, but, yeah. Sorry. I is going to go and write it now. You'll see her in nine months. <laughs> <laughs> nine months. Jesus. Like, look how, like, long it takes some authors to, like, write. They're like, it took me three years. It took me ten years. I'm like, ah. Nine months to write okay. a book about making lots of babies making for a patriarchal society. Um, but, yeah. So, sorry. Uh, very, very dark. Oh, I am extremely... I'm both like I'm I'm so relieved first of all that that ends well <laughs> I think we're all uh, mildly traumatized after mildly like absolutely editing Becca come and save our souls <laughs> okay it's not sadly the book well okay to put this simply girl a by Abigail Dean is a book about a girl healing and how the path isn't always linear, but ultimately, hmm. you know, she's healing. So um, I actually wanted to introduce this with a quote. So this is a quote from Girl A's therapist, Dr. K. She said, 
girl A, the girl who escaped. If anybody was going to make it, it was going to be you. I mean, this is sounding very much like my book. But thank she fuck escaped. it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Abigail Dean, first of all, is um, a lawyer who, this is the author, by the way, the author gave up, like she took a three month uh, long career break and she started writing this book. And um, this follows the story of, uh, a young girl called Alexandria who has been a victim of a crime when she was a child. So we open it with Alexandria who arrives at a state penitentiary um, because her mother, who was a prisoner, has died. Alexandria hasn't seen her mom since she's been rescued. So Alexandria was one of the children involved in the House of Horrors, which was um, basically their childhood home where her dad, like a really religious man, had tied up his children and had been starving them and um, all for a kind of um, religious delusion. And her mother had partaken in the abuse, but um, her dad had died. Her mother had survived. This is all these years later after she's escaped and her mother's been arrested. Um, she has to come back and kind of deal with everything that she's left behind. So her mom's died. Um, she was in prison and uh, Alexandria has been named as the will executioner. So um, she arrives in the prison um, to collect her mom's belongings, which aren't much. There's a couple of photos and the will. And a nun at the prison kind of immediately is trying to con- convince her, like, you know, you should forgive your mother. And Alexandria is kind of like, you shouldn't tell me how what to do. You don't know anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Alexandria gets the house in the will and £20,000 uh, in cash. And she decides that she wants to turn their old house into a community centre for uh, underprivileged children and people in the community. But she has to get the permission from all of her siblings to be able to do this since the house and the money are to be divided between them. So Alexandria has grown up a survivor. She was girl A from this crime in the House of Horrors. So she is the one who's escaped. She's the oldest girl there and she's the reason that they're free. So she, oh my God, I'm really frazzled, sorry. <laughs> one second there, I'm really lost in my notes. Um, yeah, okay. So this book is Alexandria in present day kind of reconnecting with all of her siblings, which there was seven of them. There's now six. And um, she's kind of recounting the stories of what's happened in the house, all of her memories of the house, like they were in chains. And she calls those times like the binding days because they'd be tied down when they were going to sleep and left there for days and like eating scraps of food, starving, not going to school anymore. Um, but Alexandria is the one who's escaped. She's climbed out a window aged 15 and freed herself, like dislocated her ankle, 
ran for freedom and she's gotten them all out of there. So um, Alexandria starts reconnecting with all of her siblings. There is the youngest, Evie, who she's waiting to fly over to meet her because they haven't been encouraged to all keep in contact as they went into foster care after being rescued. There's a lovely quote by her adoptive, like because her adoptive parents won't let her see her siblings. And it's um, to them, the past was a sickness, which my siblings still carried. You could catch it from conversation. Oh, so they're all kept apart and they're all kept apart to kind of heal each other. They've all gone through so much that therapists kind of deem that like they need they need to move on. And they're all um, they're all going to risk each other kind of falling back into what's happened to them and back into the abuse. So they have kept somewhat in contact, but not really. So she reconnects with the older boy, boy A, who is Ethan, who is now an academic and gives like basically TED talks on like being a survivor and all this. And he was the guy who they all thought would would have been the one to free them because he was 17. So there's a bit of resentment there because he actually was never chained up in this house. He was more or less like in her eyes, he was free and he could have left at any time to alert people. But obviously, Ethan knew Ethan had reasons and he had to keep he believed he was doing the right thing and keeping them safe and was too nervous to take a risk. There's Delilah, who's girl B, who's the second youngest, and she's not very liked by the narrator. They have a bit of a, they they don't get along as well um, because of instances in their childhood. Delilah's the really pretty one, and she's a bit of an airhead when they're growing up, whereas Alexandria is quite plain, but um, like really, really intelligent. So, so at Delilah, what point are they locked up? At what point does their life stop being normal? Like, because I get the vibe it hasn't always been this way. Yes, it's around, so the book goes through it. It's around the time they're 13. Okay. Yeah, so 13 to 15, they've been locked up about two years and they, they're cardboard, like their windows are cardboarded and they're losing sense of time. But uh, it's it's a little unclear because the narrator is trying to discern it herself um, mm-hmm. through therapy. So, um yeah, this book follows her kind of reconnecting with her siblings and also readdressing her traumas. She's since become a really successful lawyer in New York, but she's had to come back to London to kind of relive all this. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a story about how tragedy kind of changes us and how every character, even when they're unlikable at first, like her, like girl B, Delilah, is... Um, like you can see why they are the way they are. They're really, they're all victims of their father. Um, even her mother is a victim of her father. So um, it's a really, really good book. Now, the one thing when I was researching this, Abigail Dean is like a big true crime fan. And what made me a little bit uncomfy to know is like she did kind of base this on a true life story of oh. David and Louise Turpin who tortured 12 of their ter- 13 children. I was thinking, like, I was like, I know this story. Yeah, I was you know? wondering, was it based on that? And the only reason Louise and David Turpin were found was because girl A, in the case, a 17-year-old had escaped. Yeah. So this book draws an awful lot. Like, you can tell that there is real life kind of, like, I don't know, it sounds so believable and so, like, what would happen? Because it is. 
yeah because it kind of is and that made me a bit uncomfy to learn Mm. but then reflectively looking back like this book doesn't sensationalize what happened to these people it's kind of it's about what it's about what happens after they sensationalized. So like these kids grew up being like the kids in the house of horror and their house is like a bit of a tourist trap and people are obsessed with this case. And like, mm-hmm. even her therapist like wants to be her therapist because she's like, you're a girl, a like, yeah. you're the one who escaped. I want to be the one to help you. And it's there. They're these children that grew up like first of all as like discards to their father and now they're kind of like sensationalized by the media because of what they've gone through Mm. so it's really dark but the book handles it well because it really humanizes them and like being a survivor isn't as simple as living afterwards like they're all even the most successful of them they're all still struggling um uh even alexandria who is like a top class lawyer in new york and comes back and is like executing this will and isn't too kind of emotionally bothered in the beginning you kind of find out that she's really really protecting herself from a lot of this Mm -hmm. so this book is i think it's a lot more like this is a quote from abigail dean herself she said this book is about hope more than more than suspense um because she introduces it from the get-go that girl a alexandria is the girl who survived and you learn about all these characters who survived this awful ordeal so you're not waiting to know what happened to them you kind mm-hmm. of already know um and it's Does about, the like, story kind of unfurl and uh, like the, the details of their their trauma yeah, that's one of that's one of the points where I had a lot to say. So mm. Girl A, it's a really good book, but uh, and it's a really good. It feels more autobiographical than like fictional sometimes. Yeah, because the it's quite it's quite a strange timeline. Like it's really seamless when you're reading it because you're going from her now. She's going to visit Ethan and then she's like remembering the times when they were young and you're getting flashbacks of all of these um, instances that happened, all of these instances that happened when they were kids. So you're going back and forth constantly and filling in information, but you're never confused. Mm -hmm. It's really, really well guided. But then afterwards, I was kind of like, like there was a pinnacle kind of turning moment, but I don't know, was there? It feels, you know, like an Oscars movie when there's not like a big moment of tension. It's more like Mm -hmm. an unwind for the whole movie. Yeah. And it's a bit slow, but it's very good and it's very thought provoking. That's how that's how the book felt after, even though I breezed through it. I kind of afterwards I was kind of wanting that like, oh, that bit was so good. But the whole thing was kind of progressive. I don't know. Yeah. It's a bit weird. But um, yeah, it's just basically girl A is about like uh, what happens after the headlines have been recycled and what happens to the people at the heart of these horrible stories Mm. and how do they live in their aftermath. Um, When she released this book, it went into a nine way auction. So like homegirl did that Um, and she wrote this. So she started writing this on a three month career break and um then she got a job at google like abigail dean was like working at google as a google lawyer and writing this book wow she's a good woman and the screenwrites have been sold to sony 
And also when I was reading this, Paula Hawkins is on the cover as one of the reviewers and she wrote Girl on the Train. And um, this was a really interesting thing I saw in the Guardian article that like there's actually like a lot of science into that month or books that are sold in January tend to do really, really well. So this book was hyped up to be sold in January and the title was kind of constructed because of the successes of Girl on the Train and Mm -hmm. Gone Girl. That's immediately what it evokes like. The girl with the dragon tattoo. It's always girl. So um, yeah, it was like purposely released this January to do really, really well. And it did. Yeah. Fair fucks. Marketing works. <laughs> and she's now writing her second book. And um, I really, really enjoyed her writing. I thought she was stunning. Like absolutely stunning. So visuals. this is her debut novel. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? She and this is the coolest thing. Abigail Dean is a bad bitch. She actually did a a degree in English in like writing, but she was really jaded by it. And she found the creative writing scene like not not really welcoming. And she went back and did her master's in law, in tech law. And she went and became a lawyer, took a career break and kind of refound herself in writing. And I was like, oh, I, I love this. Most 20 something year olds feel this hard. Mm. And I think it's really nice that like she has like a story of her life where she can fulfill two of her passions in mm-hmm. her careers. And I think it's great. She is really interested in true crime. And I think she does, even though it's a bit awkward, like, being obsessed with true crime always is. I think she, you can tell she's handling this with grace and with yeah. compassion. And she is giving the spotlight, not to the atrocities, but to the personalities behind it yeah. and the people going through the pain and the healing that we don't get to see when the newspapers move on. Um, that's always the voice missing in true crime as well, I find. Yeah. And like, it's kind of like, it's what makes like people can get obsessed on the serial killer side or they can get Mm -hmm. obsessed over the power of like either the police detectives or the power of the families who kept seeking justice or just the wrongfulness of like a victim who did not deserve this and who could have had an incredible life and she is she's on the right side of things like I I trust her with the story a little bit even though I know I don't know like obviously this is a hard read for people and it is kind of one of those questions on like, is this her story to tell? Mm-hmm. But I think she does it well. And she really, it's really like a big bring home in this is that healing isn't linear. Um, because we we have a really strong narrator, but who also has really bad days mm-hmm. despite it all. Um, so I wanted a moment of impact a little bit more. I wanted a monumental moment and I didn't, I don't think I got it, but I did like I didn't at any stage want to put this book down. I thought it was yeah. really, really good. And she's a gorgeous author. Um, you'll learn to understand every action every character makes. They're all flawed. And the ending is beautiful. There's like this really dreamlike. A kind good of ending. What? Yeah. And you know, it doesn't need to be like a happy, like it's still this girl's life. She's still learning to live with all this, but it's a really like it's a it's a really kind of nicely written ending and it's dreamlike and it's it's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um so I had one of my favorite lines was by um 
it, it was basically at the end of the book when all this starts unraveling and she starts kind of getting back in touch with people who she would have known as a child like for example when she was 11 so when she was still in school but her father was still like very religious and like you know they weren't eating properly and they like he didn't really approve of her going to school that much so he wouldn't really help her with her uniform and she was going in in raggedy clothes um she had a teacher who kind of saw all this and also saw like greatness in her and like um, wanted her to apply for scholarships because she thought she was like really 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 gifted and kind of meddled a little bit into her family dynamic which caused her her father to go like now nah, we're leaving like we're moving you're not going to the school we're moving we have better plans than education. I want a Miss Honey moment yeah so this poor teacher like she does all she kind of feels she can without like assuming the worst and kind of making a big situation or putting her in danger she like has a going away party for her and she like gifts her like this book about greek mythology a theme and it's just really good to her but she she kind of doesn't know what else she can do and she lets alexandria like walk out of this classroom and like you can tell the teacher's trying not to get involved because it's overstepping a line but like and like you can child protection it's it's, see at the time this is happening it's it can all be assumed that everything is fine and it is it is kind of meddling in this girl who seems quite happy and okay and you can tell the teacher is so caught up with like what should I do and she doesn't do anything she just lets her go and she's kind to her and she gives her her best and later on when like she's kind of back in touch with her really briefly um, her teacher is like and though books can't save you from everything I really hope that you're still reading like, oh I was just emotional over it I was like that poor teacher must be living with so much regret yeah. um, and she ends up with amazing adoptive parents who support her afterwards and like Alexandria goes and makes this life for herself in New York so when she comes back to deal with this and she really briefly like goes back home to her parents house she kind of starts resorting into all the bad habits of like kind of sleeping in late and like eating loads of food and like you know we all do it at Christmas when mm. we all just kind of become children again and yeah. we just we can't do anything productive when we sit around and we read books and we're, we, we kind of get miserable hello lockdown <laughs> yeah and the way she writes that she has a lovely line and she was like that was the problem with coming home. You also had to come to this or oh, I'm going to try that again. That was the problem with coming home. You also had to come to the self which resided there. Oh, oh. that's real. She's a lovely writer. Like, what would you oh. give it out of 10? I'd give it an eight, eight and a half, an eight, I think. Okay. Now, the only reason I wouldn't give it a 10 is I I don't think this book is going to stay with me the way that ones that I would put at a nine or a 10 would, mm-hmm. but this was a really great read and I really recommend it. And I'm really excited for Abigail Dean's next book because I think she's a great author. The, I just kind of tend to hate the trope of like the badass woman who's like gone through hell and she's like really weathered by it, but really fucking cool and intelligent. I That trope runs really dry for me mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. but I think Abigail does it right. Um, But I think ultimately the fact that, I don't know, it's just not my vibe all the time. 
you know yeah I kind of I want a character who's a bit more vulnerable but like Alexandria gets vulnerable like girl A is she's a great protagonist and I really like that even though like in her head people are kind of villainized and she's like oh like my brother Ethan is like like you know he never saved us she she doesn't really think that and she loves him and it's oh, it's just very very well written it's just a really great book and um it's a 2021 book it's new mm. yeah. and that excites me and sony have the rights to it so i don't know do i want a movie out of this to be honest i think it doesn't I like sound it a like book. a movie to be honest because there isn't that moment of impact but then when i think about it and i see the way that like they managed to make gone girl and girl on the train into films and they were quite good i think this would actually be a better movie than those two Mm -hmm. i don't know would it be like a massive like cultural reset kind of moment i could see i could see the movie doing quite well i'm thinking of room i'm thinking of all that kind of stuff i think it could do quite well if but, it got um, a really good director, it sounds like the plot to like something that an Oscar film could be. Yeah. yeah. But, but we'll it see. really it needs a good director to carry it through because it can like the story is really good, but it is a character story mm. and it can get quite lost. But um Abigail like smashed it like eight out of ten. Amazing. Really, really, really mm. good. And Woo-hoo. I'm really, really excited to see what yeah. she does. Oh, I'm glad we ended on a good book. <laughs> yeah, a very good book. A very good book. Yeah. So with that, uh, we ended on a positive note. Uh, Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.